Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Beacon Church this morning. I hope that you enjoy and you're going to be blessed by our service this morning. Wherever you are, you are more than welcome. It is great to have you with us, even in this slightly strange virtual environment. You know, if you have any questions from today, maybe um, you want to know a little bit more about us at Beacon Church, there will be an email address and contacts at the end of this video. So please do be in touch. We'd love to hear from you and to answer your questions. Before I start today, I'd just like to read a little bit from Psalm 40. Verse 4 says this, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. I want to encourage you to make the Lord your trust, to trust in him, to trust in Jesus, whether for you this time is particularly difficult or whether actually you're beginning to just thrive at this time. Maybe you're beginning to do that, but trust in God. Why? Because it says blessed is the man, blessed is the man, content, happy, encouraged is the man who trusts in him. Right, OK, so I've made a start this morning. I'd now like to uh, just talk through the rest of the morning. Uh, in a few minutes, Pete is going to be coming to speak to us. Uh, and he's speaking from two passages in Luke 4 and Luke 5. And his sermon is entitled Jesus Heals. Now, if you haven't got a notebook with you, um, it might be worthwhile having a notebook, pen and paper or whatever, just because you might find that one or two notes you want to write down today. Uh, in the way that, that Pete delivers it. I think there'll be lots for you to think about and chew on this week. OK, before he starts, I'd just like to give you a little bit of encouragement. Um, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through something, it's really nice to know that somebody else has been through it before successfully. And um, I'm going to go back a little bit in time to somebody that many of us will have heard of and know well, who went through a pandemic and their advice that they gave at that time. Going back perhaps a little bit further than one or two of you might think, I'm going back to the great Martin Luther, the great preacher and reformer, who went through what he called the plague. And uh, in 1527, he wrote a pamphlet which was called whether one may flee from a deadly plague. And halfway through that, he gives some advice. He talks about himself and how he responds to this deadly plague, which mean we may call a pandemic. Let me read one or two bits. I'll stop after kind of each phrase and then just, just comment on it. His first phrase is this. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. And I agree with that, don't you? That we should at this time ask God to protect us, to protect our families, to protect our loved ones, to protect our hospitals and our, our schools. I agree with him, don't you? That we should ask God for protection, the mighty God, ask him for protection at this time. He then says, Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. So what he's really saying there is he would take his vitamin D. He would take the medicine that would help him and encourage others to. He would have the Pfizer 
or the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccination, wouldn't he? That's what he's encouraging to, uh, people to do. He'd say, I take it and I would encourage others. I'd even administer it to others. He then says this, I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. That's interesting, isn't it? He starts with faith, but now he's being very practical. He's saying, maybe in our words, he said, I would social distance. He's saying, I would lock myself down in my house. I would keep away from other people for their sake. I don't want to be naive with this. I want to be sensible. That's really interesting, isn't it? The great Martin Luther, the great firebrand, says, do you know what? I'm going to take notice of this lockdown. Wow. He then says, in typical style, if God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. I have done what he has expected of me, so I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. So he says there, he's no fear of death. He's not worried about dying. He's not worried about death. And he feels that if he does what's right, what he feels is the right thing to do, which he's discussing here, he's not going to worry about whether he might infect somebody or not, because he's just going to do the right thing in a balanced way. Lovely. He then says this, if my neighbour needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely, as stated above. He was keen, even in a time of plague, to look after his neighbour. And that's an encouragement for us, isn't it? For the many of us who look after friends, relatives at this time, neighbours at this time. That's what Martin Luther thought was important in 1527. And then he said, see, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. He's got that amazing balance, hasn't he, between absolute faith. And for those of us who've read about Martin Luther, and if you haven't, I encourage you to. He was a real man of faith, a real firebrand of faith. But he was balanced here. He said, don't want to be foolhardy in what I do. I want to be sensible. I want to make sure that I look after myself and others. Well, I don't know if that encouraged you, but it encouraged me. And I hope it does you too. It's great to hear from the great men of faith throughout the generations who are in a similar position to us. Okay, we're now going to hear from Pete um, and uh, when I finish we're going to hear Vanessa talking through, reading those two passages, one from Luke 4 and one from Luke 5 and then we're going to go straight on, straight in to Pete's sermon. I'll see you at the end. Thank you. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him. 
and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Today we're going to be looking at the claim that Jesus heals. It's a topic that can provoke dramatically different reactions from excitement to doubt to genuine disquiet. For some people it's an essential part of Christianity that doesn't get spoken about enough in church, but for others it raises potentially troubling questions. Why doesn't God heal everybody? Why haven't I been healed? Does God even care? Many have responded to the reality of suffering in general and of sickness in particular by concluding that there cannot be a powerful, loving God. Either he wants to help but isn't able to, or perhaps even worse, he is able to help but chooses not to, doesn't care. There's a well-known video in which Stephen Fry is asked what he would say to God if he met him. And his answer, um, faced with the reality of evil and suffering in the world, is how dare you? How dare you create a world to which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Now, we might rightly ask questions about Stephen Fry's theology, but we need to recognise that he's not the only one asking those kind of questions. We won't be able to answer many of the questions raised by sickness and suffering today, not only because time is short, but because many of the questions can't ultimately be answered this side of eternity and certainly not by me. What we can do though is consider through this passage in Luke how God responded to sick and suffering people when he walked among us on earth. In these two passages we see Jesus healing the sick. I'd like to draw out three things that I think we can learn here about Jesus's response to our sickness. Number one, Jesus is able to heal. Two, Jesus is willing to heal. And three, Jesus is building his kingdom. So my first point is that Jesus is able to heal. In the first passage we heard, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law by rebuking the sickness, not by preparing some sort of herbal remedy or performing a series of rituals, but simply by telling off the sickness. He tells it off and it obeys him and goes. After that, Luke writes that, all of those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. He healed every one of the sick people brought to him. This is more than 70 to 90% efficacy. Not only can he rebuke illness, but he also rebuked the evil spirits and they obeyed him. He has authority over all of creation, material and spiritual. This points to the fact that Jesus is God incarnate, God made flesh, God come to dwell among us, the same God who spoke creation into being by his words at the beginning of time. He is able to heal. And Jesus still heals today. There isn't time to get into theological discussion here, uh, but I believe that the Bible teaches that God still heals today through his church by the power of his Holy Spirit. Today, many Christians will testify to this from personal experience. 
One of those is my friend Tash. I've chosen to share her story because she's someone whom I know and trust. And she's also not necessarily the kind of person a sceptic might expect to have a story of healing. She's grounded, she's not prone to flights of fancy, and she's not someone who's an attention seeker. Um, And she also has medical evidence to show that she no longer has an incurable condition that she was previously diagnosed with. So I'm just going to read a bit of her story. In her second year of university, Tash was diagnosed with a bicuspid aortic valve in her heart. A normal aortic valve has three cusps which open and close neatly as your heart beats and prevent any blood from flowing back into the heart. Instead of having three of these cusps, Tash only had two. This meant that the valve was less effective and some blood would flow back into the heart, which is not a good thing. She experienced discomfort and sometimes crushing chest pain. She was also at a higher risk of having heart attacks and was more likely to need a heart transplant potentially in the future. In addition, the condition could lead to complications if she chose to have children um, due to the stress on her heart in pregnancy and birth. Though she had friends and family who prayed for her to be healed over years, she wasn't sure if God would heal her. She looked forward to a restored and perfect body in eternity, but she didn't know if God would heal her before then. One day at church, the visiting speaker, Mike Betts from Lowestoft, prayed for people with heart problems. There was no hype or altar call, just a quiet invitation for people with heart problems to put their hands on their hearts while Mike prayed. Tash says that despite her lack of faith, she put her hand on her heart and prayed something like, Jesus, I know you can do it. I just don't know if you will. Please help me in my unbelief. Afterwards, some of Tash's close friends told her that was you. And they said they were going to pray for her every day. She had another round of tests coming up, so they were going to pray for her until then. She was sceptical, but they had fresh faith and determination. That really encouraged her. So from then on, um, she reports that she had hardly any chest pain. It lessens the point where she was able to go weeks without noticing anything at all. The end of April, the test started and went on for a couple of weeks. At her echocardiogram, her heart scan, the technician was puzzled because she couldn't find anything wrong with the valve at all. She recorded the images and forwarded them on to a cardiologist. Later that day, Tash had an appointment with the GP who said the radiologist probably just couldn't see it or the images weren't clear enough. Tuesday the 8th of June, she finally had a doctor's appointment to discuss the findings of the various tests. When it came to the results of the echo, the doctor smiled and said, well, it would appear that you don't have a bicuspid aortic valve. She told Tash that she had a perfectly normal heart and printed off the results showing the three different places where it was written that Tash was fine. She implied that perhaps earlier tests were inaccurate and the diagnosis had been wrong. But Tash says that the old tests were clear and the chest pain that she experienced previously was now gone. She knows that she is healed. When she called her sister Emma, a cardiac nurse, her response was, you know those don't just grow back, don't you? So Tash believes that she's been healed, that Jesus has healed her today. We can see from Luke's accounts of the life of Jesus that he had power to heal the sick. And you can still hear from thousands and thousands of people around the world, perhaps even more, like Tash, who will say that he still does today. So my first point was that Jesus is able to heal. And my second is that Jesus is willing to heal. Maybe we're persuaded that Jesus can heal, but we're not sure how willing he is, perhaps particularly in our case. In the second passage, we heard a man suffering from a skin disease who thinks Jesus can heal, but is he willing to do it for me? He says to Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus' gracious response to him is, I will, 
be clean. Jesus does care. His posture towards the man is one of open generosity and willingness to heal. And his posture towards us is one of open generosity and willingness to heal us. We don't have in scripture actually any account of somebody coming to Jesus to ask for healing and being turned away with nothing. In fact, we see, if anything, the opposite. Jesus exhausting himself to heal all who come to him. Consider again that first passage that we read in which all those who had any who were sick came to him at sunset. Imagine in a world without modern medicine, no NHS, the number of suffering people that there might have been in that town. And this is in the evening at the time when he wants, probably wants to settle down for his evening meal, get a rest and go to bed. But Jesus stayed to heal every one of them. When we see God on earth in Jesus, he doesn't live far off in a comfortable house away from everybody's problems. He rolls up his sleeves and he gets involved in our issues. He cares. One response to Stephen Fry or anyone else who might be tempted to accuse God of being callous might be, look at Jesus. Look at God when he came to earth. Not only did he care, but he spent himself for the sick and suffering in a way that we simply do not. Whatever Stephen Fry's charitable work might be, or his philanthropic efforts, whatever he thinks he might say to God if he met him, I can guarantee you that his own life does not demonstrate the concern for the sick that Jesus showed. Jesus does care, God does care, and he showed it when he lived among us by his actions. It's the same for all of us. Although our words might suggest at times that we think we care more than God's, when we take our lives and compare them to Jesus, it is, there's a stark difference. It's clear who actually does care more. Jesus cares. He is able to heal and he is willing. So Jesus is able to heal and Jesus is willing to heal us. But Jesus is also building his kingdom. It seems that Jesus doesn't always heal everyone. For every testimony of healing, we know another, perhaps even several, of somebody who hasn't been healed. I wanted to reflect that in this message, so I've asked Jen to share something of her story of living with chronic back pain. Um, I'm going to read it out in a minute. Jen's someone I admire for her patience and for her long-suffering, and um, particularly for how she's continued to love and serve others through suffering chronic pain. She suffered physically more than most people I know, but I don't remember ever hearing her complain or express a sense of victimhood. Instead, she's quick to think about and to serve and love others. Here's what she wrote about her experience. I was diagnosed with scoliosis at about 10 years old, and I agreed to have surgery when I turned 16. A few weeks prior to that surgery, I was involved in a car accident in which one of my vertebrae exploded into many pieces, resulting in a much longer and more complicated surgery. I've had constant lower back pain ever since then. Five years ago, I had more metal work added to my spine and am scheduled for more metal work to be inserted later this year. I'm on strong pain medication and have had various spinal injections over the years. Even with these interventions, I'm in some degree of pain 24 seven. It affects all aspects of my life. Over 30 plus years, I've prayed a plethora of prayers regarding my back and the associated pains. I've also had many friends and family who pray for my healing on a regular basis. I've gone forward for prayer in large meetings, small meetings, one-to-one, -one, and prayed in isolation. People have laid hands, commanded the pain to go, but the pain has, 
over the years worsened. But I believe that God is a good God and have had some answers to prayer along the way. Prayers for protection that my spinal cord wasn't damaged further despite misdiagnoses and other accidents. For my surgeries to go well and for speedy recovery. For back pain during pregnancy, the pain clinic told me if I got pregnant, my pain would be a lot worse, but pregnancy was actually when I had the least amount of backache for years. And I've had short-term pain relief as answers to prayer to enable me to get through church meetings. I believe God can and does heal today and have persisted in prayer for various neurological aspects, but mainly for the pain to go. Initially, when my prayers didn't seem to be answered, I felt I needed to have more faith, pray and fast more, be more, but God is a God of grace, not of works. There are no magic words or levels to reach before you get healed. He's in control. I felt that I was disappointing others and have been questioned on my level of faith or that of the people praying for me. This is nonsense. I've been really angry at God and questioned him. I've been depressed, felt useless, isolated and very frustrated. However, God's not been silent. Reading my Bible, I realised Jesus didn't heal everyone all of the time. I've not given up on physical healing, but for the time being, I know this is my path. God has purposes and a plan for my life, regardless of my disability. God has used this so that I can better relate to others in a similar situation, especially other Christians who haven't yet been healed. A big eye-opener for me was when a close friend of many years explained that the way I continue to believe in a God who can and does heal, despite not being healed myself, speaks more to her about the possibility of a God than if everything was perfect in my life. As Steve preached, God is in the business of heart surgery, and I'd rather he work on that than my back. Am I being punished? No. Do I lack faith? No. Have I stopped praying for healing? No. Am I still on mission? Yes. Even if this is, is as good as it gets on earth, I know that in heaven or the new earth there will be no pain. That's faith. So if Jesus is both willing and able to heal, why isn't everyone healed? First, let's get this clear. One of the most important things we can say in response to the question of suffering, especially to people who are suffering, is I don't know. Let's not be Job's friends trying to explain to people why God is allowing them to suffer. However, to say I can't see a good reason why God would allow suffering isn't the same as saying there couldn't possibly be a good reason why God would allow suffering. He's the creator and we're not. At the end of the book of Job, God's response to Job is essentially, I am God and you are not. He doesn't give him an answer why he has allowed him to suffer, but he shows him who he is. This won't satisfy a hardened atheist, but it is an appropriate response from the creator to a creature. God was there at the dawn of time and laid the foundations of the earth. His wisdom isn't just greater than ours, it's of a different kind. Imagine a two-year-old arguing with Einstein about physics. Well, that's nothing compared to one human on this small planet questioning God's wisdom in how he runs the cosmos. Now, God is gracious and he allows our questions, but he doesn't have to explain himself to us. God can have a good purpose in allowing sickness and in not healing all without us necessarily being able to see it. Though that is a hard thing for us to accept at times. We can see example in the first passage we read. So the people want to keep Jesus so he continued to heal them all, but Jesus has to move on. Before we look at the reason he gives them, I just want us to consider that there's a situation here where Jesus has a greater purpose that they cannot see. 
That's also true for us many times. Sometimes God does reveal his purposes to us, but often he does not, and he doesn't have to. There may be times when, like Jen, we can see reasons why God might be allowing our sickness, and there might be times when we cannot. But the fact that we cannot comprehend God's reasons doesn't mean that he doesn't have them. The fact that we can't see a good purpose doesn't mean that there isn't one. In this passage, however, Jesus does reveal his purpose for moving on rather than staying to be the people's doctor in residence in their town. And it isn't that he must go and heal everyone from all the other towns as well. We might think, yes, it's only fair. Jesus shouldn't stay here. He should go and take his healing ministry all around the area, all around the country and heal everyone. But he doesn't actually say that. He doesn't say, well, I need to go and heal everybody else as well. He said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. The people seem to misunderstand the healing. They put themselves at the centre. It's as if they think Jesus' purpose should be to stay in their town and be like a kind of personal healer for them. To borrow a modern term that's very popular at the moment, they want him to be all about their well-being. But his purpose is much greater than that. He's building his kingdom. Many of us in the West have believed in a kind of therapeutic gospel. There's a danger, and this is true for me, and this is true, I think, for all of us, that we think God's job is really to make us happy. However, Jesus does not primarily come to us to fulfil our needs and desires, though he does meet our needs. He comes to build his kingdom. The healing of our bodies and our minds is wrapped up in the story of the kingdom, and we can see that here, but it is not the centre of the narrative. At the centre of the story of the kingdom is not healing. At the centre of the story of the kingdom is the king. The story goes something like this. God is a good creator who makes a world bursting with life, with no sickness or evil in it. He places it under the care of us, human beings. However, sin finds a way into this good creation, bringing with it sickness, suffering and death through us. And we, who were placed in charge of the world, reject God and give ourselves over to the darkness so that all of creation becomes subject to it. But God plans to redeem the world through his son. Jesus comes to earth as a man, a king coming to reclaim his kingdom. He demonstrates his identity and authority by liberating people from captivity to sickness, sin and evil spirits and proclaims the good news that the kingdom of life is here to kick out the domain of darkness. To redeem the lost creation, Jesus must die an agonising death on a cross, taking on himself all of the consequences for our rebellion. That is how far his willingness to heal and restore goes. On the third day, he rises from the dead with a body that is no longer subject to decay, and he is able to promise all who believe in him that they also one day will rise with new bodies. That is how far his power to heal goes. And now, Jesus sits enthroned in heaven, waiting for the appointed time when he will return in victory to rout sickness, sin and death and kick them out of his creation for all time. On that day, his people will know the end of all sickness and suffering. Jesus has definitively defeated sickness, sin and death. He heals now through his church by the power of his Holy Spirit as a foretaste of the perfect, full healing that all of creation will experience when he returns. Not all are healed now, but all who trust in him will be healed then. Sator concludes, We've seen in this passage that Luke's account of the life of Jesus shows us a God who is both willing 
and able to heal the sick, a God who cares. Many today would testify that he still does heal the sick through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. However, we also saw that the healing wasn't the end in itself. It is a sign of the coming kingdom in which there will be no more sin, sickness or death. So how can we respond? Well, here's three suggestions. One, we can continue to pray for the sick, knowing that Jesus has triumphed over sickness through his death and resurrection and that he still heals today. Two, we can ask God to help us move from seeing our comfort and happiness at the centre of the story to seeing Jesus, the true king, at the centre of the story. And three, we can look forward in hope to that day when Jesus will return to finally rout sickness, sin and death and to usher in the new creation. Well, thanks, Pete. That was cracking. Really faith-filled balanced sermon on healing. So difficult to do, but really, really good. I wonder where you've landed in your feeling and and thinking about that. Pete did come with some encouragements at the end, didn't he? Three things. Now, I'm just going to focus on one of those, but please don't think that the other two aren't equally as important. If you can't remember them, you can always rewind and listen to them again. His first encouragement was to continue to pray for the sick. And I want to respond to that. So I'm going to do that now. I'm going to pray for the sick. I'm going to respond to the word that Pete has spoken. So if you're by yourself um, and there's something that you want praying for in terms of uh, healing, um, let's just do it like this. Why don't you just put your hand wherever it is? If you've got a, a problem with your arm, put your hand on your arm. If you're not by yourself, you've got somebody else there that you know needs healing, then you could just put your hand on their shoulder. Or if it's an appropriate place, just put your hand on wherever um, their sickness or their injury is. And I'm now going to pray. Lord Jesus, King of heaven and earth, one who puts stars into space, healer God, will you come now? And will you minister healing over the internet if necessary? Whatever happens, I don't understand it, but I know, Lord Jesus, that you are a healing God. And I pray now, right now, Lord Jesus, that you would heal by the power of your spirit. I pray for arms, Lord. I pray for headaches, Lord Jesus. I pray for stomachs, Lord Jesus. I pray for conditions that people have prayed for again and again. Lord Jesus, will you bring your healing power in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Now I've just prayed briefly there. Please feel free, please feel free to continue praying once this video has finished. You might even want to continue ministering as you uh, pray and and listen through and, and sing with the songs that accompany this video. That might really help you. Well, may you have a really blessed week. Thank you for being with us today. Remember, if there's any questions that you have for us, please do contact us. The details will be up on the screen in just a second. Thank you very much.